Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for being with us today. Today I've got L. Beltran. He's a CEO of Fierce Conversations, a global leadership development company that's pioneering new e-training and communication paradigms. Ed's company is spearheading Metaverse, which is a mixed reality learning modality for workplace e-skills training, as well as proprietary app technology to help build a more mentally fit workplace. Ed brings 20 years of expertise in finance and operations. He's been a leader at Fierce since 2017. He holds two Bachelor of Science degrees from Arizona State University in accounting and computer information systems and an MBA from the University of Michigan. He's held an active CPA license since 2004 and holds certificates in entrepreneurship from Wharton and Harvard. Prior to joining Fierce, Ed was head of finance with different large multinational organizations, as well as advising and supporting startups and early stage companies. Ed, thanks for being with me today. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that great introduction. It made me uh, made my day. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, you know, I just I love to talk about workplace wellness and workplace well-being because a lot of the folks that come into the Brain Performance Center. Are not they're not exactly experiencing a lot of that, and I think you and I both know we read the data, we read the, the Gallup polls, and stress is really on the rise. And it's amazing to me, Ed, because before the pandemic, one out of four Americans over the age of 12 was either suffering from a mental health problem, anxiety, depression, or a substance abuse problem. And think about what the, the pandemic has done to us. It's changed our life. And to, it's changed how we learn. It's changed how training is done. It's just, it's changed so much. And I think that we're still, you know, we're still stuck in that fight, flight, or freeze mode. And that uncertainty keeps us stressed out. Oh, for sure. You said it so well. And, you know, the data is clear, you know, as you mentioned, the Gallup negativity index is at an all-time high, which is staggering. But what I find most promising as well, Lee, and I know you've done a lot of work around this, is that we can talk about this now, right? I'm 45 years old, and when I started in my career, you didn't talk about it, right? When you when you were in performance reviews, you didn't talk about your mental health, mental well-being, being stressed, being like these weren't conversations that you, you have. And instead, senior leaders who were developing me at the time said, don't let them see you sweat or um, or, you know, uh, vulnerability wasn't something that you openly discussed. So I think we've done, we've made tremendous progress and we still have a ways to go. Well, you know, you're, you're right on with that because I, about three years ago, I wrote a book, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On. And I wrote it because I wanted people to know it is okay to not be okay. And the first step at the Brain Performance Center is people will come in and they'll do a 30-minute consultation with me. No charge for that, because if I'm going to say that I believe we can help you, I've got to feel that. And so I'd be talking to people, and I still am. It's like, wow, 
sounds like, you know, there's a little depression going on. Oh, no, 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 no. And they start looking at the floor. Or, you know, gee, I, I think I hear some anxiety. And those shoulders come up to the ears. Anxiety? Oh, not me. And I realize <laughs> people just, they don't think it's okay to talk about things. And I, so I think it's so important, the work that, that you're doing to get that conversation alive and well in organizations, because I'm just about finishing up a PhD and I did it because I wanted to create social change around mental health on a personal level, on a society level and in the workplace, because that's where a lot of the stress comes from. Oh, absolutely. And I always commend your work. That's absolutely amazing. And the underlying theme, which I believe we're going to uh, discuss a little bit deeper, always starts around that self-awareness. So like you were saying, when you're, when you're consulting or coaching someone and you start asking about, um, you know, what they're, what they're going through with depression, their immediate reaction is to not, you know, go there and not talk about it. What we've done a lot of work around is the statistic that Tasha Erwitt, she's one of my favorite IO psychologists, states in an HBR article is, 95% of people think they're self-aware, but 10 to 15% really are. So going back to the scenarios you laid out, how many of that is just lack of self-awareness or lack of not wanting to truly look at what it is that they're facing in their life, their difficulties, or being able to address it? So absolutely amazing work, and thank you for that. Well, and I think to, to a big degree, sometimes, you know, it's just easy. If you're working full-time, you have family responsibilities, you have all this stuff going on, it's easier to pay attention to what other people say and do. It's much harder to shift the attention to yourself. It's easier just to pay attention to what's going on all around us. <laughs> exactly. But then you get the, uh, the, lag, the lag indicators and the results that we're seeing. We have seen the last couple of years around the great resignation or the great reshuffle or you hear a lot of uh, you know, employees approach their environments very binary, like, oh, this culture is horrible. My boss doesn't like me. I'm going to leave versus what we've advocated and what the, the research shows is like, no, you are the culture. You can engage your environment and learn more and influence a better outcome. So, and, and all that ultimately leads to lower stress and better outcomes. Well, you're not, you're right. I mean, it's very unusual. Last year, 43 million people quit their jobs. And it, it, and I believe it's not because they've just decided they don't want to work anymore. It's because they've decided they don't want to do the job they're doing anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, what a staggering statistic. So how do you go into, and I know, you know, Fierce Conversations has been all about getting companies to have conversations. And, you know, I know a lot of companies are using AI, artificial intelligence, to tap in, help people to tap into themselves and understand better what's going on with themselves. And is that a direction that Fierce Conversations is heading in? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to highlight some of that work. Um, but before we do, I would love to give you a little bit of background. So as you mentioned, you know, we've been around for 20 years. We spun out of the book, Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott, which sold over a million copies. We've had the opportunity to work in Fortune 500 companies down to emerging startups. Now, when I took over as CEO, and even before when I was charged with building the infrastructure of the company, uh, digital infrastructure, question always comes back to, you know, are you research-based or how do you know this works? 
And so I actually hired a chief behavioral science officer who spent um, um, uh, about eight years with the Naval Center for Combat and Operational Stress Control. And he came in, his background as a PhD is in IO psychology, really around resilience. He came in and he had the hypothesis that said, when people have these conversations in the workplace, when they actively engage their environment versus avoidance, then their stress goes down. So he came in and he did a ton of research around this for us to be able to link that. In fact, people's stress comes down, you know, when they're in the workplace having these conversations. And, and it makes sense, Lee. So, you know, in the workplace, if someone says something offensive to you or your boss makes a comment to you that sounds like not positive, you know, you have a couple of choices. One is you can kind of walk away and harbor this feeling of which it manifests stress, right? The manifestation of the unknown, right? Or making up stories about what that means. Or two, you could get curious, right? And you could ask questions. Well, let me just talk a little bit more about this. Like, what did you mean by this? Or, hey, you made this comment, Lee, and it felt kind of offensive. Let's explore this. And so, or with delegation or running team meetings, all the things that we've been teaching for 20 years, and it, when people do this, their stress immediately drops. So with that, we then sat back and we said, well, how do we make this easier? If we know that people are stressed in their environment, how do we make them become more self-aware? And then how do we provide them the tools in real time that's specific to their situation, not generic or theory? And that's where a lot of our innovation has spun, spun out of. So as you mentioned, AI, we've done a lot around AI and our apps and our platforms to help predict for people what it is that they're going through without them having to provide a lot of information or think through it deeply to be able to provide those resources. And I'd love to give you more details around that because we're getting, you know, a lot of a, uh, you know, a lot of traction and a lot of positive impact in this work. Okay, so talk to me more. Tell me about that. Yeah, definitely. So as I mentioned, um, we know that when people have these conversations, their stress levels drop. So how do we detect stress then in the workplace so that we can know when users need us or we can provide them what they need in the moment? So what we've done is we've backward integrated into wearable devices, so like Fitbit or an Apple Watch, which provides uh, you know heart rate data that we then run in our algorithms, and we use heart rate variability um, uh, approaches to be able to help categorize stress. So it's more than just okay, Lee, you're highly stressed. It's giving you that context to be able to be, be more self-aware. So what I mean by that is, if I said you had the highest stress event last week on Thursday at two o'clock. Like, Ed, I'm a busy professional. I don't know where I was at two, at 2 o'clock, right? So in our app, we also pull in your Outlook data or your Google Calendar data and GPS data to be able to wrap more information around that event. Then as a user, you could say, oh, okay, this is what's happening. Every time I interact with this individual or this partner, my stress levels go up. So that's step number one, which is identification. Then the next step is why, like what's happening there? And it could be that, there's something not being said, or it could be that there's things being said that aren't addressed, whatever it happens to be. Then that's when our tools kick in or a coach kicks in to be able to help the user go from that self-awareness to the action and commitment to the action to be able to tackle the stressor, not just manage it, which a lot of us do, better diet, better exercise, meditation, but really getting down to what is it that's stressing you out. And 90% of the time, it's interpersonal relationships. And what we find in our research, the majority of the time, they're misunderstanding or situations where the other person wasn't self-aware. And when you have these conversations, not only do you move into a better place, but you also drive to the goals 
of your individual goals and your organizational goals. Well, and you think about resilience. You know, everybody, when things are going my way and everything's going good, my resilience is so strong. But when I feel like I'm standing alone, when I feel like I'm not connecting with the people around me, my resilience tends to go way down. You know, I always use a sailboat metaphor. My sailboat can't get out into the water when my resilience is down. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And I love that. I love that you brought that up, Lee, because resilience, we see this word now everywhere, right? And it's huge. And as I mentioned, I'm 45 and I've struggled with this word resilience. So I turn to my chief behavioral science officer and I say, what is this resilience? And he goes, oh, it's like a marshmallow edit. You bounce back into form. I'm like, okay, I still don't know what that means. <laughs> and so what I, for me, I'm more of a data person. And so what I love is there's an HBR article that actually states what it is in the workplace that people face that requires resilience. And to your point, Lee, there's the number one, one of the number one issues, 70% of respondents said, when I'm managing difficult relationships and politics in the workplace. Now, the reason why I love this is, and there's other ones as well, but the reason why I love this is because these are the interactions that people are having daily that's stressing them out, distracts them, causes them to want to, you know, quit, turn over, have lower productivity. But it also allows us to manage to it, to be able to provide them tools to be able to address it. So, for example, if you're dealing with someone who's difficult in the, in the workplace, as, as we talked about, 95% of people think they're self-aware, but 10 to 15% really are. So if you take that statistic for what it is, then you, then you engage in a conversation, not a one-directional dialogue, dialogue, monologue, sorry, and say, here's what's happening. Here's what I'm seeing. What's showing up for you? In which case you move to a better situation with that individual. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. You know, and I'm so surprised. I have clients come in and that housework going, you know, and they'll, uh, won't take long. So they'll be talking about the stress associated with work. And and what I I have heard a lot is people really don't feel the same level of connection that they used to. They, you know, if, if you're working from home, and I think when that first came out, everybody loved it. But I think since then, people have recognized there's no, there is a different level of connection. And I don't know about you, but a Zoom happy hour just is not the same for me. <laughs> <laughs> just... Couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> so I, I think that, you know, that aspect comes into play, that, that feeling of, of disconnected. But what I'll have, I was talking with a gentleman not too long ago. And so I said, well, talk to me, because he, he has definitely has interpersonal problems with his manager. I said, well, what really bugs you about him? And he said, you know, Lee, he keeps calling my, I've worked for this guy for over two years. He keeps calling my kids, kid. He didn't even know their name. And I'm like, wow, that's, that would, that could get under my skin, to be quite honest. You know, so, and at the time, same time, I'm thinking, how hard would it be to say, you know, no, what's the name of your kid? I'm great at covering that. I don't know. Now, tell me one more time. I know you've told me before, but what's the name of your kid? And, and just those little interactions. So does yep. anything that you guys do, kind of create that level of interaction? Oh, absolutely. So let's take that example that you gave because I think that's a fabulous example. So, you know, whether it's through the conversation or he was identifying it through our what we call our pulse app, meaning his stress levels will go up every time he meets with this individual, 
in this particular case, he, he's saying, okay, well, you know, every time you refer to my kid as a kid, it just boils my blood, right? <laughs> so you could take two directions on that. One is you could take it for face value and say, you know, it truly does, in which case we provide uh, easy frameworks to be, be able to give feedback, to be able to say, hey, John, you know, every time you refer to my, you know, my, my kid as a kid, it makes me feel that, you know, maybe you're not listening. I mentioned my son's name, you know, X amount of times, and I thought we were a little bit closer than that, in which case the person on the other end might say, you know what, you're absolutely correct. I apologize for that, um, you know, it was an oversight. Or you might say, you know what, you're right. I refer to everyone as a kid. It's just it's just a, a habit, but thank you for bringing my attention. They enrich the relationship, and there's a closer understanding between the two of them, right? Now, Lee, I know you found this. I know you found this in your practice as well. When I hear a situation like that, most of our coaches will say there's something else underlying behind this, right? What else is it, right? And it could be, and again, I'm just making this up, but it could be that this manager or whatever has given him pretty hard um, uh, performance reviews. It could be that he hasn't had a raise in two or three years, but yet he's not self-aware that these are the things that are bugging him and are on the surface, or he doesn't feel confident enough to be able to bring that conversation up with his manager. So instead it's manifesting in other ways. Well, and you're right. It, the, the tip of the iceberg it is what we're looking at. We're not looking at everything underneath the water. And that's when you can focus on what's really wrong and it, certainly, it would be offensive if I've worked with you for two years and, and I talk nothing about my boys and you don't even know their name. Are you listening to me? Are you discounting me as a person? So, but it's, it's, that's the tip of the iceberg. It's, uh, it's everything else that you mentioned that really does play into that. So how would you address that situation? Yeah, um, you know, as I mentioned, taking it on, taking it uh, for face value, it would be able to provide him the framework for giving proper feedback. And the way we teach feedback is instead of just saying in theory, hey, you got to provide feedback, what we do is we teach people to actually focus on the observable behaviors and go in it, go into it as a conversation versus a monologue, right? And there's a big difference. So what I mean by that is, um, what I mean by that is, is that if you made the assumption like, hey, you're purposely discounting, right? He's already made he's already made an assumption around what's happening there, right? So anything he says um, in that frame could be potentially wrong. Versus the conversation is, hey, I noticed that every time I refer to my kid, um, you know, the kid versus name, like what's his name, which I've mentioned many times, what's um, you know what's happening there, and it becomes a conversation, and out of that conversation comes more information and more understanding. And what we further find is that many times when you get feedback, come to an understanding where, again, as I mentioned, a lot of times it's a misunderstanding or someone's not self-aware. You create a, a contract, if you will, like, okay, I'm going to work on this. And if it continues to show up, we have framework then to go to confront, right? Now, our confront is where you approach the individual and you say, hey, we've had a conversation on this a few times. This behavior doesn't seem to change. So here is, the, is that state, right? that stake is it's going to impact our ability to work together and impact our relationship. In some cases, I need to go to HR. Now, what happens a lot of times, as we talked about, is people approach these situations very binary, and they already make assumptions about it, like, oh, this person's offensive because of racist, or this person's offensive because, you know, they don't like me, they're putting me down, and then they go right to the front, 
So they go from zero to 60 very quickly. And so what we teach is it's actually a step progression of escalation. Many times that first step, providing feedback, um, eliminates um, the situation completely. And as I mentioned, it's a conversation. It's a what's happening, Lee, these are the behaviors that we're observing versus me making an assumption of being very direct and, and making a lot of assumptions. Well, and I agree with everything that you said. Some people are able to talk about things and some aren't. Some just, whether it's a struggle they have with themselves or they think it'll do no good, it's just wasted time. And, and I hear a lot of that. But what I was really interested in, one of the reasons I wanted you on the show today is that you guys have found a way, an app to help people build that mental strength and build that mental fitness because it does not come easy for everybody. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So as I mentioned before, Pulse app is the um, app that starts with um, uh, stress from your wearable device to be able to help you become more self-aware and then to move you into action by providing the resources and conversation that you need to have either through our AI bot or through a coach love to tell you more about that as well because we're finding a lot of enterprise uh, traction and application there. But what you're talking about, I think, is incredibly important because you can provide all the counseling, all the resources, all the tools. You can spend a lot of time with an individual, but at the end of the day, they have to have the confidence to be able to take that step. So it could be intimidating. It could be hard to give feedback to your boss or confront your boss, right, or bring up um, salary conversations, right? even if you give everybody everything they need to do. So this is where we've actually developed 3D VR simulations where it's in a gaming environment. And it's the scenario that someone would face in the workplace, such as giving critical feedback to your boss, but they get to practice it. And what we found in our research is it increases that level of confidence because they're practicing it, they can see it in their head, and the probability of them having this conversation, this interaction is a lot higher. Accenture has also found that these modalities increase learning retention by 75%. And it makes sense to me when you think about it, because instead of passively just getting information, you're actually driving a scenario in a gaming environment. You're actually saying, this is the path I want to take and experiencing the outcome from that. And that's why the immersiveness of the learning is so, so much higher and the confidence level coming out is also higher. So we're very proud of the work that we've done there. And we've tackled topics such as, um, you know, how, how to address politics in the workplace, but also, you know, race and DE&I issues as well, which is a pretty hot topic in the workplace these days. So how do you measure that on people? Because, you know, you started off, I think, saying, I'm a data guy. And a, a lot of people are, you know, I want data. And I'm like, oh, I'm not a data person. But I'll find <laughs> right. you some data, you know. But And a lot of times I'll tell them is something as simple as, you know, I notice when you come in here and you're really – upset about something you know you've got this short choppy breathing going on I can see your chest going up and down and maybe your face is a little flushed so I mean the body keeps score of everything going on in the mind no doubt about that but when I when I give them observations and I'll say you know what sit down let's do some let's breathe together Let's slow our breath rate down, because if we slow our breath rate down, we'll slow our heart rate down. And if we can get our breath rate and our heart rate to dance, we can create heart rate variability. Yep. And 
that's a sign of wellness. Now, is heart rate variability something that the app looks at? Absolutely. That's exactly the core of how we're categorizing stress. So I would love to tell you a little more about that because that's, that's a, that a great question. So like you said, I love what you said because we, we believe in this so strongly. Your body doesn't lie. Your biometric data doesn't lie. So what we do is we're actually measuring HRV uh, from the user and then from the user helping them focus on the specific event that they're facing, right? So we know that managing stress techniques work, meditation, mindfulness, like what you spoke about, you know, better diet, exercise. I ride 120 miles a week on my bike <laughs> just to keep myself, uh, uh, you know, mentally sane. And it, it works, but it doesn't get down to that core stress. And that's what Pulse is all about. So what we've found in our data is within two weeks of an intervention, either a 90-minute coaching session or them using our AI bot, stress has dropped 9 to 10%. Burnout has dropped 8% and anxiety 14%. Resilience has increased 11%. Cohesion organizational commitment is also higher within two weeks of one 90-minute coaching session or intervention because we're helping the user get right down to the issue that's making them biologically respond in a way, like HR, their HRV data spike. And so that's the reason why we're able to drive such quick results because we're getting down to it. Now, in traditional coaching or counseling, as I'm sure you're aware, many times it takes many sessions to get down to the heart of the issue, and then it's the perception that the user has. With our solution, we're actually getting right down to the biological issue and helping them become immediately self-aware. So we're really proud of the work that we've been doing around this. Well, and I think you should be because, you know, it's so interesting to me the the way that people view physical health and mental health. If somebody learns they have a heart problem, they, they are at a cardiologist's office as fast as they can get there. If someone wakes up and feels like, I just can't do it. I just can't go in today. I don't want to see her again. I don't want to deal with him. They have the nastiest little conversation with themselves. Suck it up, buttercup. Come on, man, power through. You've got to do that. And those are not appropriate conversations. Exactly, exactly. And what you laid out is what most folks typically uh, go through, right, which is, oh, this is just the way it is, or, oh, this person is just, you know, <laughs> very difficult to work with or nasty, right? But it, they're harboring and still, and not driving their stress with the pipe. And what we're saying is through our data, like, there's tools, uh, 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 tried and true tools to be able to engage that. If only 10 to 15% of people really are self-aware, then that means that the person that you're working with doesn't self-aware. Maybe no one, maybe there's, there's no one who's told them or given them feedback and they have absolutely no clue the emotional weight that they're, they're leaving. So you as an individual can engage with that individual, focus on those behaviors, be, make them become self-aware, you enrich your relationship. And as an organization, you drive through your goal. Like that's Boy, what you that, that yeah. you hit the nail on the head with that. And we've got about 30 seconds before we go to break, 15 seconds. But when we come back, I want to talk more about that because you nailed it. And it's we'll dance around issues like that all day long. So when we come back, we're going to tap on that again. Sounds greatly. Thank you. We'll be back after these messages.
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. News Daily reported a story from CareerBuilder that gave some humorous examples of actual job interview blunders. One Boris Norris candidate decided to take off his shoes during the interview. Probably not the best idea, even if you don't have smelly feet or autobromhidrosis. Another job applicant brought a how-to-interview book with him to the interview. Then he asked, what company is this again? And my favorite, the candidate who asked for a sip of the interviewer's coffee. That will cause a latte problems, and also it's a bit bumptious. And finally, one job applicant asked the interviewer if they could wrap it up quickly, because he had another appointment. And a special thanks to our armed forces, men and women serving at home and abroad. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So we are back. And before we went to break, Ed was giving it. He was just making some great points. And if you wouldn't mind, Ed, restating those again for our listeners, because those were some true takeaways. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We've been having such a great, engaging conversation. And where we left off was really getting down to what happens in the workplace where many people might avoid or not have the confidence to be able to truly engage the interactions in their workplace that would make a difference. And instead they either harbor these feelings of of stress, which tax their resilience, or they feel they need to leave, but they don't ever get down to that core stressor. And we also talked about how there's many management of stress techniques, such as meditation, mindfulness, better diet, um, uh, and so forth that work well, but they still don't get down to that stressor or drive the outcomes that people desire. And so we were also saying how the statistic of 95% of people think they're self-aware, but 10 to 15% uh, really are, is so staggering. And when you take that into consideration, it clears your context and how you potentially engage people in the workplace to be able to um, become more self-aware of what it is that Know, what, what, how their how their emotional weight and impact having in the workplace, and I think by us talking about some examples of folks that have gone through our platform called Pulse, I think it'll come more to life. Well, I think everybody loves to hear success stories. Have you got any good success stories to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. In one of our initial groups, um, it was so interesting. There was a gentleman whose data clearly showed 
he was more stressed out in his home events. So going on vacation, watching the kids, date night with wife, his HRV data or his category, stress category was a, it was high, a four. And yet all his um, workplace interactions were at a one. So on the surface, you would say, oh, um, you know, his work life, or his, sorry, his home life is more stressful than, you know, his, his work life. There's something going on there, and that's what he believed as well. But upon exploration with our coach, what was happening is what was, ha- was happening to a lot of us during this, uh, during the pandemic period and even post, you know, with hybrid work and working from home, the bleed over from work life and home life was very blurred. And so once he came to that realization that it actually wasn't necessarily work life, it was also, sorry, home life, it was also work life, we were able to help him with resources to be able to have conversation with his boss, to be able to set boundaries around time and uh, his bandwidth, but also his home life as well, to be able to say, here's, you know, when I'm available, unless there's emergencies. Literally, those conversations sound simple on the surface, but he wasn't having them because he wasn't self-aware. Within one week, his HRV data or his stress showed a 10 to 50% drop. Within one week? Yeah, within one week. Yep. That That is amazing. Now, again, this data is coming right from folks' heart rate data from the wearable. So it's biometrically solid. Like, this is what's happening. <laughs> so pretty, we're pretty proud of those results. Well, I would be too. And the I mean, I, I love one week results. Heck yeah. So is that, <laughs> is that really special or is that not that unusual for, for change to happen in a week? No, we're seeing across the board within two weeks of that first 90 minute coaching session or intervention, we're seeing nine to nine to 10% drop. In and it, it makes sense though, Lee, when you step back because you're helping people get down to the precise stress event that's having a biometric, biometrically um, adverse impact on them. Like we're getting right down to it. So instead of just saying, which a lot of people say, oh, I'm really stressed. I'm really stressed about it. Work is stressful, right? Okay, great. It's getting right down to what specific interaction. So like we talked about before, people's bodies don't lie. Your, your, your biology, your, your responses don't lie. So every time I interact with this individual, my, you know, my stress levels go up. And you see these clear trends. Then it's what's happening behind that. What is happening behind these interactions? And then what do you do about it? That's the reason why we're seeing the results that we're seeing, because we get right down to it. Well, and sometimes I find... Oh, sorry, please go ahead. I was just going to say, I find people really, they they love getting right down to it. They It's the natural reaction to kind of evade and and kind of stick your head in the sand. But what they really want is to get right down to it. So I was just echoing your story. And the reason why is because a lot of times it could be very overwhelming, right? So, you know, think about when you go to a counselor or a coach or anybody, first question they say is, oh, what's showing up for you, Lee? (laughs) Well, if I could answer that so easily or succinctly, then I would have everything solved already, right? So, um, you know, right? And, 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 you know, with, you know, professionals' jobs obviously are to help unwind that, and they do such a phenomenal, great job. And what we're finding with our tool Pulse, we actually even work with professionals and coaches. They use this to be able to augment their practices, to be able to hone in and get right down to what they should be talking about initially. Now, of course, there's other work that needs to be done, but getting right down to what you need to be talking about that's impacting the person, the individual right then and there, drives better and quicker. 
Well, you know, it's so interesting to me because I'm always surprised at how many people really don't have their their finger on what, what the problem is. It's easier to blame somebody else. You know, well, you know, my kids just moved home. They've been away at college for four years. Now they're back in the house. And so it's all their fault. Or, you know, there's been a big change in the family dynamics. And so I think that it's our nature. We we want to have a reason that something happens. So I think it's our mm-hmm. nature to look for something to blame. But in fact, if we look within, if we take a little time for self-care, maybe even a little self-compassion, amazing things can happen. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. You're still right. And, and on that theme, it's amazing because when we talk to our enterprise clients, uh, you know, folks that are overwhelmed, we, we hear the same thing. And I know you've heard this as well, but it, it's absolutely staggering. They have all these investments and resources, right? Like employee assistant programs, other wellness apps, you know, gym memberships, whatever it happens to be that goes vastly underutilized. Like it's incredible. So we have this inverse relationship where we have stress levels at an all-time high, but yet employee resources and companies are at an all-time low, right, comparatively. And so what happens a lot of times, it goes back to the theme that we've been talking about, which is that self-awareness piece. And, and not feeling overwhelmed, but having something that's digestible to be able to get down to what they're facing and, and the solutions to do that. So, for example, one of the number one issues that people face in their personal life is around financial, financial situation, financial budget, whatever it happens to be. So step number one is that, again, that self-awareness, that identification. Step number two is conversation with self or maybe your significant other to say, hey, we have a problem. <laughs> we need to work on this together. Let's, like, let's solve it. But then we also now automatically through our, our, our app or our Pulse platform connect to these resources. So a lot of enterprise uh, uh, companies, a lot of large companies have an employee assistant program that has free financial advisor hours or discounted uh, hours, sorry, excuse me. And we can directly connect to that to make it easier for people after they get to that self-awareness to connect with the resources they need to solve their problems. And just being able to have the resources and nothing is more frustrating to look back and say, you know, wow, it was right there. It was right in front of my face and I didn't even know it. Then you get that whole shame and blame. You start playing that shame and blame game with yourself. And that certainly doesn't improve the situation. So I'm curious because what I find is that negative thoughts, those automatic negative thoughts, those little ants, you know, they run through your head so fast and so furious. You don't even know they're there. It's just all of a sudden, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I don't know. I don't like that. And how how do those negative thoughts do that? Are those do those play in to your analysis at all? Oh, absolutely. It's human nature, and that's so important. And, and two of the foundational pieces of fierce conversations that we've been teaching is when you go into a situation or conversation, it's a discipline. It's to clear your context. So instead of saying, Lee purposely wanted to offend you, Lee should have known that, you know, <laughs> this is what you were doing, it's clear your context. I'm going to clear it, I'm going to assume. And the second one is to assume good intent. Now, this makes sense, and the data proves out again that 95% of people um, think they're self aware, but 10 to 15% really are. So if you assume that, then you go into a situation, clear of context, assuming good intent, 
and you're able to engage in a richer conversation. So I know it's easier said than done, but when you start practicing it, it becomes a lot easier. Well, and, and that's the hard part is to start to start practicing. It really is. It's so once people get into once they get into the pattern and I'm like, what you got to do, man, you got to catch those ants. You catch them and people say, well, what will I do with them? <laughs> I'm like, well, you squash them, you get rid of them. But once you once you get to the point where you can catch them and you can recognize, OK, here I am catastrophizing everything again or, you know, I'm back to my old perfectionist all or nothing thinking that is when you can stop it. So I'm really happy to hear that that is part of your, you know, the thought process behind creating you know, the change. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and, and we, we, the, uh, I love your ant analogy. I actually think I'm going to figure out how to use that because I really do love it. Um, you know, one of the things too, that we, we we're offering to our platform is we believe in it so uh, wholeheartedly is um, meditation and mindfulness, but specific meditation and mindfulness. So there's some great apps out there that, you know, give you meditation and mindfulness, but they're generic, right? So they're like, okay, we're going to give you um, some modules on anxiety. We're going to give you some modules on self-esteem, which are all great. I've used them before. They're fantastic. What we're doing, though, is in our app, as I mentioned before, we know when we help the person identify what it is they're facing, right? So if we're making this up, um, having to confront their boss around, um, you know, rude or um, insulting comments. So again, it could be very anxiety-driven, even if you know you're supposed to address it, to actually do it. So in our mindful, or in our meditation, excuse me, our type of meditation, we would have it specific to what the individual is going to go through to help them get their mind right. So tomorrow, we're going to have a feedback conversation with our boss. Okay, like you were talking about, let's do breathing, let's, let's envision this. You're giving the conversation, you're focusing on clearing your context, assuming good intent. And we're finding that the results are just fantastic because we're helping give people that those tapered resources to what it is they're facing versus generic. Well, I think that the you know one of my most basic tools that I use with people is great. What are you grateful for? Mm. You know, just at the beginning of your day, at the end of the day, stop and think about what are three things that you're grateful for. And you know what? It's okay if it's the same three things a couple of days in a row. They don't have to be different things, and it doesn't have to be anything. It net for me, it never is anything just tremendous it's just a basic life components and if that. we can I love it. if we can bring it down to to you know what are you grateful for because people's brain this is the way the brain works you know let's go back to the old days the caveman days eat or be eaten you walk out of that cave and you're scanning that brain is scanning for danger well that's the same brain that we have today and the right in the right hemisphere Two-thirds of the cells are scanning for danger. That's why we remember the negative. I mean, research shows every day we have three times more positive events than we do negative. But what does the brain hold on to? It holds on to that person that cut you off, that let the door slam right in your face. It holds on to that negative. And I think that... If you can reframe those 
and put some emphasis on positive psychology, then you can, okay, so one bad thing happened, but wow, think about this. Think about that email I got. Oh, that was such a nice surprise. I never thought I would get that. Thank you. So it's, you know, the name of the, of the show is In Your Head, and that's because everything that goes on in our head, it either, it either makes life easy or it makes life difficult. I totally agree, and I love that gratefulness exercise as well because you, you go into that positive area and you have those positive feelings as well. And um, I think it's phenomenal that you mentioned positive psychology as well. I'm a huge fan of positive psychology. Um, I, I was able to take a course at the uh, University of Michigan for exec ed, and it was one of the hardest and the most enlightening courses as well. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll tell you just a quick story, Lee, if you don't mind, about it. I love it. I love it. So, okay, so I, I have more of a data, hard skills type of background. Um, so I started making strides into being a leader, so I was granted the opportunity to go to executive education. So I go in this positive psychology course, and we walk in, we're in cohorts of five, and we don't know anybody. We just met, we just met everybody. And the first exercise within the first hour was find something positive about the individual or something that they've done great, and, and let them know in a group. And I'm sitting back and I'm like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. We just met these people. How do I know anything about them positive, right? And I was truly, truly uh, stuck. And then they put this video on afterwards um, about a, a renowned National Geographic photographer. And he illustrated how something mundane, like a field of grass or, you, you know, a, a, um, a, a burned down building can have beauty in it if you look for the right angles and he showed how he like lays on the ground or goes up on a ladder or looks for those angles. And it just was a totally different mind shift for me and absolutely exhilarating. And at the same time, very difficult. Right? If you're not accustomed to using that frame or that lens, like you had brought up. So I, I love that you brought that up and I am a huge fan of public psychology. Well, thank you for sharing that story because I always, you know, I always told my kids as I was bringing them up, you always find what you're looking for, right? Uh, we do. So if you're looking for the negative, if you're looking for what you don't like, what are you going to find? What you don't like. If you're looking for the goodness, if you're looking for joy, then what are you going to find? The joy. So it's... It, Ties, it does tie into positive psychology, but it's just kind of goes back to a basic saying, what goes around comes around. You put goodness, good energy out there. And I honestly believe good energy is going to come right back at you. No, absolutely. And I love what the story that you're giving with kids of what you're looking for. It's the same thing for people, right? And that was the whole punchline of the experience I went through. And it's absolutely true. If you're going in with that negative context, like we were, we were mentioning, you're going to find it. That's exactly where your brain's going to go and notice versus the positive context. And or forcing yourself to say, people love this individual. This person's in this position for a reason. Like, it's there if I'm looking for it. I, I love it. Well, there's so much goodness. You know, I mean, we used to, we didn't talk about self-kindness, self-care, self-compassion 10 years ago. Um we didn't talk about common humanity 10 years ago, being mindful. So I think that we've, we're at a point in time 
where we're, we need globally, we need to embrace the goodness. We need to embrace the alternatives that we have because we can choose to be unhappy or we can choose to do something about it and be happy. No, it's, I love, I love my mom and she always, she gave me such great sayings. She would say, you know what? Looks like you're not having a very good morning. No, I'm not. Well, honey, let me tell you, you can go open that drawer and you can either pull out unhappiness or you can pull out happiness. Now go to your room and reopen that drawer. (laughs) I'm like, at the time, I thought it was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard. And now, I think it's pure brilliance. No, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I couldn't agree more. I, I so when you hear the term self-compassion, it, is that something that, I mean, that's kind of a, a different way to look at everything that we've been talking about. But is self-compassion part of your formula? You know, I think it comes down to, again, what you mentioned, which is gratefulness and, and, and appreciation. Because even when you look at, you know, we're talking about how you look at others or how you look at other situations. But I think it comes right back down to what we're, we're saying, but looking at yourself, right? Instead of thinking about what you're not doing right or what you need to do better, it's, you know, I've done a pretty good job here, right? I've done the best that I could, or this is something that's a work in progress. And again, it's just that, again, that mental shift. And we do find that coming out when we actually do our, our coaching sessions many times. And a lot of the stress sometimes is self-inflicted um, because of the person's perception of, you know, themselves. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I'll do with, with my clients, and it's kind of old school, but it still works, is I'll have them make a vision board. And I have a couple in my office that I've made. Uh, you know, and it, when I say, well, have you ever thought about making a vision board? You know, they're like, mm, what's that? But I, I have found it to be so helpful to get them to actually visualize themselves being where they want to be. And, and if nothing else, recognizing what does that vision look like? Is that something that you use or, or have used or what's your alternative to that? Yeah, it's not. It's, I wouldn't say we. Um, it's something that we formally have uh, baked into our program. I've personally used it, and I love it because my my number one um, skill um, with, with through Gallup Stream Finder is uh, futurist. So my mind's already oriented toward how do we build a better future, and so I use vision boards to be able to tie that and keep me kind of grounded, if you will. And it's something that we talk a lot of, about in our team as well, but. Um, I do think it's very important. I appreciate you bringing that up. Well, and I think I use visualization with my clients. And I'll just say, you know, I can tell you're you're frustrated. I can tell you're not really present in the moment. So let's take a minute to kind of get present. So let's close your eyes. And I want you to think about think about your happy place. Where do you go that you absolutely are just happy being there? So, and don't just think about what you see. Don't think about what the room looks like. Don't think about how well it's decorated. What do you hear? Is there music playing in the background? What do you smell? 
did somebody bake fresh cookies and put in the lobby? What do you feel? Are you sitting on a are you sitting on a velvet sofa? Are you sitting on the floor? What do you feel? And just that I have found really draws people back into the moment. And it's something that I encourage them to do on their own is to, to but you can't just visualize it. You got to feel it. You got to taste it. You got to smell it. You know, you got to really internalize it. And it's something that I've never really knew how powerful visualization, visualization was on a personal level until I started doing it with other people. Would you say that you use that exercise when folks are too wrapped up or worried about the future? What are some of the scenarios that you find that, you know, you pull this exercise in to help? Well, you know, there's lots of scenarios that I use, that I do use that in. And, you know, we might make that another show. We might just (laughs) have some brainstorming time. Because it is, you know, it, there's so many different ways that we can use everything. We've got about three minutes left in the show. And I know that we've talked about a lot of good things. And our listeners may think, I don't know how to tap into that. How do I learn more about that? So let's take a couple of minutes and, and let you give them some information. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, Lee, thank you very much for having me on your show. It's been just a fantastic dialogue, and I've learned a lot just from talking with you in this uh, within this hour. So, thank you. Um, as far as listeners go, you could look at our look up our website, fierceinc.com. So, fierce standard spelling inc.com. Uh, Pulse by Fierce will take you directly to pulsebyfierce.com. Sorry, will take you directly to our Pulse app, which um, you know we talked a lot about here on the show. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn under Edward J. Beltran. Again, I'm the CEO of Pierce and happy to connect, happy to have dialogue uh, with you and figure out how we might uh, help you or your company. Well, that, that's great because there's so, I find there's so much information out there. Finding the right information and being, being able to tap into it really does, it does help me a lot. So, and, and the app itself, if somebody just wanted to use that on a, on a personal level, not necessarily on a company wide. Is that, mm-hmm. is that applicable? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can find us in the app stores. And as I mentioned, pulsebyfierce.com will take you directly to um, our landing page and happy to get you uh, signed up and do um, we do to help you. As I mentioned, we're helping many individuals lower their stress within two weeks. Just from, just from identifying and getting down to what your stressor is and uh, what to do about it. So happy to help everyone and anyone. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with our listeners, because everybody out there has stress. I'm not saying everybody has the same level of stress or the same. The stress doesn't come from the same place. But unfortunately, we all have it. And being able to tap into that is is the key to stopping it. And you've mentioned self-awareness several times, and it's hard to take the time to stop and reflect and think about what we really do see in ourselves, because I think sometimes we're afraid we're not going to like it. But there's just as much goodness as there is negative, and I want our listeners to remember that. There's so much goodness that we all have within us, and I encourage each of you to take five minutes and find your goodness. Thank you so much, Ed, for being with me today. It's been a ball. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate it. 
Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Thank you.